if the vehicle is autonomous, if it is driving itself and is not communicating to the outside world, then we won't know that as enforcement. And it's a problem we need to think about. I'm Jim Park, and this is another HDT Talks Trucking Special Report on Autonomous Trucks. This one's called Cops and Robots. That opening remark comes from Will Schaefer. He's the Director of Safety Programs at the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, known simply as CVSA. Will has a unique interest in driverless trucks. It's his job to figure out how the rules can be applied to trucks that have no drivers. This is all pretty new, so CVSA hasn't yet developed any firm policy on automated trucks, but it has created an Environmental and Industry Modernization Committee to help sort it all out. That's still a work in progress, so most of Will's comments here are going to be his opinions rather than CVSA policy at this point. Will's been working in the commercial motor vehicle safety and regulatory sphere since 1999. His work at CVSA includes developing and supporting vehicle size and weight and advanced technology-related policies. Our conversation begins right after this. Bobbitt Business Media's Fleet Forward Conference is going virtual this year. Because of the travel restrictions and budget cuts brought on by the pandemic, we're bringing Fleet Forward to you. Join us for Fleet Forward 2020 virtually November 9th through the 13th at fleetforwardconference.com. So, Will, thanks for joining us on HDT Talks Trucking today. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. We've been uh, batting autonomous trucks around for a while now in the magazine and on the podcast here. And the one component we really haven't dug into yet is how we're going to enforce the presence of autonomous trucks on the road. Obviously, we're going to have to treat them a little bit differently than trucks with human drivers because we don't have the human component involved once we go fully driverless, whenever that might be. But can you just sort of give me an overview of uh, where CVSA is in the enforcement community as far as how you're going to handle these things? You know, a 40,000 foot view of uh, what you folks are thinking about. Sure. Uh, and given that it's the 40,000 foot view, I'll mention that it's a, a very fluid discussion. We're, we're having conversations ongoing. We have some recommendations for policy that we established at the end of last year, and uh, they're evolving. So, you know, what we recommended might be a little different in the, in the near future. But in general, um, we're thinking about this question, and we broke it down into two things. We're thinking about automation, both in the lower levels of automation, uh, when, where you still have a driver, but the vehicle might be able to do certain things by itself, but not everything uh, for extended periods. And then the SAE levels four and five automation, where you could, in theory or not in theory, uh, remove, you know, the intent is to remove the driver altogether from needing to be there to drive the vehicle. And certainly, um, in those categories, we have a, an idea that there'd be some kind of uh, enhanced pre-trip inspection and a, a remote screening or a remote um, uh, verification that that vehicle was inspected at the beginning of its trip, at that uh, beginning of, that's, of that d- dispatch. And so those are a couple of ideas that we're shopping around and, and there's conversations ongoing about that. Um, and we can dive into a little bit more detail uh, with your questions. I've kind of wondered how you're going to approach this because in the long term, when these things eventually do become actually driverless, clearly someone is going to have to do uh, 
you know, what we've, you know, today call a pre-trip on the truck. So I presume that there'll be, you know, little men running around in drop yards doing uh, inspections on these trucks. Uh, would you expect any more than that uh, at this point or just some verification that the truck had been inspected more or less the same way we do it today? Well, I don't expect that it will be entirely the same as we do it today uh, in the sense that what may be needed for the for the for the automated vehicle is is an enhanced pre-trip you know somewhat above and beyond what we currently do for a pre-trip and one of the elements that we have suggested is is that there is a diagnostic of some kind of the automated driving system that would need to be at least you know re- documented and and uh, available to you know, let's say you're passing a way station or a, or a location where an inspection would typically occur for a, any non-automated vehicle. And in that case, you know, th- this vehicle could be, could broadcast or, or get electronically communicated somehow. Uh, and that could be communicated to an officer at a, at a way station. Um, you know, this vehicle has got this pre-trip inspection. It currently has good status on XYZ, whatever those things are. And then, um, there may be, you know, there, there could be uh, maybe a credit to that company's, uh, you know, verification or, um, you know, safety management score for the, for the jurisdiction. But that's not really what we're, we're worried. We're most interested in, in verifying that the vehicle is, is in good working order. So that would be in addition to the uh, standard physical inspection that the truck gets. I, that, that's a, that part's not going to go away, is it? Uh, no. I, I mean, I, I think that it, it's... It's sort of a, somewhat of a hybrid, you know, instead of inspecting a vehicle at a way station where we're looking for brakes and lights and tires, um, we, we have a verification that it was inspected and well inspected at its origin uh, where, it was, where it was started. And uh, for that reason, you know, maybe there would be a, I don't know yet, but we're, this is still in discussion, but mm-hmm. maybe there'd be a higher standard for that pre-trip relative to, I'm just imagining things, um, you know, thinking of uh, hypothetically, uh, tire tread depth and tire inflation and brake out of adjustment conditions and uh, lighting systems, all of those could be checked in the pre-trip. You know, for example, there is such a thing as, as tire inflation or tire, uh, tire monitoring systems or tire inflation systems. Um, maybe these vehicles should have, you know, and this is my opinion, maybe these vehicles should have a tire inflation system. That's not CBSA's policy. That's just a a theory, you know, or in yep. my opinion, uh, and that kind of thing. You know, there's some technologies that might just be lend themselves well to um, this type of operation, where you wouldn't have vehicles with underinflated tires. Well, we have um, much of that technology already. The tire monitoring systems. We have electronic uh, brake stroke indicators. My feeling is that you could equip a truck with enough sensors. I mean, even sensors that detect when there's lights out on a truck. So if that became a requirement that these trucks were as quote unquote automated as possible or, or self-diagnosing, uh, that would probably save some of the uh, footwork on a pre-trip, but you'd still be looking for stuff like, you know, the condition of the exhaust system, for example, leaks and all those physical things that you guys go over today. Yes. You know, uh, uh, a missing rear underride guard. Uh, I don't yeah. know how you put a sensor on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the kind of thing I was thinking of. Yeah. So. Presently, uh, we're we're still required to run safety drivers on the trucks. And usually, two people: one person in the driver's seat and somebody else in the right-hand seat, watching the uh, 
you know, the goings on on a computer screen. So for all intents and purposes, is is that truck today going to be treated any differently than a, a, a regular tractor trailer would be coming through a scale or, you know, as it's going down the road? Let me speak generally um, because I'm, I'm most familiar with, um, with the U.S. federal regulations. I don't know all of the regulations that are developed in all the states and in the Canadian provinces. I, we don't have a, a national requirement that there be a driver on board a vehicle in the U.S. That has been explicitly said in the U.S. Department of Transportation's um, guidance about, you know, automated vehicles that, that a, you know, a, a driver isn't necessarily required in the vehicle. Well, a human person, you know, yeah. on, in the vehicle. In my opinion, that's premature to declare that. I think that we should have safety drivers required, but I don't think that they are required nationally in the U.S. They may be required in certain states. These, this is a, a very fluid, I say fluid, it's, it's changing rapidly in terms of there are, there are uh, legislatures that are thinking about regulations. There are uh, rulemaking bodies that are uh, departments of transportation in each state and in each province. And, um, and then there's the federal U.S. Department of Transportation. And all of those, both in the state level, you know, in some states, there are requirements for um, permits. I know that California is, take, is somewhat of a lead in that sense that they, they've had a, a lot of the startup companies are based out in California or, or at least have been in, historically. And some of them been in Pennsylvania as well. And depending on the, the approach of the state, and I'm not picking on each any particular state, but some states are requiring registration and um, and a safety driver, for example, and reporting on number of um, California requires. Uh, last I checked, you know, a, a uh, the number of disengagements where the automated system had to back off and let the safety driver take over, and then other states have kind of put into law or put in regulation saying you can run you can run your automated vehicle testing in our state. Please do. We want your business, and there's no stipulation. There's no other requirements, and that, you know, that there are two different approaches. Uh, one is, you know, um, kind of overseeing the effort, and the other is encouraging the effort with no oversight. But in the end, there's there's going to be a balance of of both of those, and I think that there also needs to be in the U.S. There needs to be a, a you know harmonization across states. CBSA seeks harmonization and regulation. So we'd really want to see a, a, a national uh, policy or national uh, regulatory scheme uh, if and when, you know, regulations occur so that all the, so that all, all the inspections and all the vehicles are operating under the same requirements. Um, that would be CBSA's goal in general. Uh, but uh, for now, we, we are, we're, we're still learning how the technologies might show up and might be implemented. And uh, there's testing happening in various states and there's conversations happening on how we might inspect them. I know you, CVSA in general, doesn't uh, focus much of its efforts on the passenger car side of things, but there's lots of developments um, within the uh, you know autonomous world in passenger cars. Are you watching what's going on there and seeing how much of that oversight or, or regulatory effort could be pulled over into the commercial side into uh, the class eight trucks? I am watching that. Um, I, yes, but with the, with the caveat that 
we have to look through the, the commercial vehicle lens and what works for light vehicles can some of what works for light vehicles may, 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 may make sense to apply to trucks and other aspects might not. And one example is that in federal regulations, one of the things that is, uh, at least in the, in the context of um, vehicle to vehicle communications, which is kind of died down in the conversation on the federal level. There was there was a proposed rule from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration here in the U.S. that that um, would require um, broadcasting a safety message and, and, identify, and identifying a type of vehicle, where it's headed, uh, location and speed, et cetera. Um, and that would allow other vehicles to, you know, avoid colliding with each other, especially at intersections. And they, the, the U.S. DOT worked very hard to maintain anonymity in those messages, so that you know you don't know it's Jim Park driving down the road. You just know that it's a, you know, a, a truck or a you know a pickup truck uh, of of X size going X speed and um, from where you know what direction and where. The way it's explained to me is these trucks are actually capable of making decisions. So when things decide to do something and nobody's really monitoring that decision, what what generated that particular impulse and made it want to do something, if it decides to go rogue, I think it would be a pretty good idea if we were able to track it and turn it off. I don't have that answer either, but <laughs> any of those companies that I've talked to, they are not relying on communication to, to allow their vehicles, to enable their vehicles to do, its, to do the driving task. But what I propose, or what I believe, is that communications will be necessary for that that very thing, verifying at least verifying the vehicle's um, viability for the roadway. Today, we do an inspection to check for you know compliance with the federal safety regulations. I mentioned at the top of the at the top of our discussion. Our concept is what we think is a good concept for how to how to approach these is to have a a um, a way to check the vehicle remotely to verify that it had a pre-trip inspection. But it would be helpful for law enforcement to know, and I'm you know representing the commercial vehicle safety enforcement agencies to know if if a vehicle is equipped with first of all if it's equipped with a technology that allows it to drive itself, and second of all, secondly. Is there a person on board? Do I need to go into that river and pull the driver out of that truck? Well, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, it's a whole other conversation that I'm yeah. not ready to have yet. <laughs> you can ask me about it, but I don't have answers. Well, yeah, we see the uh, decals on the side of a lot of trucks now. Uh, team operation, check the bunk in case of an accident. Oh, yeah, right, right. Um, so do we just put a label on the side? Um you know, my example is perfect. So we just put a label on the side saying this, this vehicle's automated and no one is on board. Don't send rescue divers down. That'd be a pretty long decal to put on the side. Of the well, fair enough. But, but yeah. my point is, um, may, you know, it would be helpful to know even before that vehicle gets to the bottom of the river, that it was an automated truck. And you can't do that if it, if it's, if the vehicle is autonomous, if it is driving itself and is not communicating to the outside world, um, then we won't know that as enforcement, and it's a, a, it's a problem we need to think about. 
I'm Jim Park, and you're listening to an HGT Talks Trucking special report on autonomous trucks, featuring Will Schaefer, the Director of Safety Programs at the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance. Coming up in our second half, we'll hear about how officers at roadside will have to deal with trucks they can't communicate with directly, and how some of the advanced enforcement technology that we'll need for driverless trucks might be applied to traditional motor carrier enforcement. If you like what you're here on HTT Talks Trucking, please subscribe to the podcast. If you have a question or a comment, or there's something you'd like us to cover, drop me a line at jpark at truckinginfo.com. We'll be back with Will Schaefer right after this. Fleet Forward 2020 features a great lineup of talent and topics developed by the people you trust for fleet insight and best practices. Topics include transforming your relationship with your utility company from foe to friend and how to plan for fleet electrification while keeping your sanity. Fleet Forward 2020 is online and totally virtual this year, November 9th through the 13th. Register now at fleetforwardconference.com. Well, there have already been a couple of incidents uh, recorded with these autonomous vehicle operators. Um, I did a search a while back, you know, on the SMS scores of uh, these various companies who have U.S. DOT numbers. You can see online it's all there for, you know, public consumption. There have been a couple of accidents and a number of citations written for, strangely enough, hours of service (laughs) violations, lights out, uh, conspicuity markings, those sorts of things. The kind of stuff you'd expect from any sort of roadside inspection, but... In the accidents and crashes that you're aware of, uh, did anything unique come up there that posed an enforcement uh, or an investigative challenge for your people? Well, um, you know, I I don't know if I know about all of the incidents, but I'll just first say that very few trucks with automated systems have been involved in anything so much as a fender bender, maybe with a a couple of exceptions. Well, with one exception, I'm aware of one accident, which was minor. you know, there are a number of things that, that do come to mind. First of all, just going into the database and you want to know how many of these vehicles were automated, you're not going to find that. You have to go, you have to know which companies are, are automated company, automated driving system developers. And for that matter, you have to know which companies those, those developers are working with. If they, if they provide a service to a major trucking company, maybe that major trucking company has some of those vehicles and was the automated driving system involved in the crash. It's not required that that be disclosed in any place. So it happened that I'm aware of in one case, there was a crash and it was, it was not the fault of the driver, uh, the safety driver or the automated driving system, but Nonetheless, the automated driving system was, I'll say, quote unquote, observing the scene as it has this, as far as I understand, it was, you know, it's got cameras and sensors and radars and all of these sensors and it's watching the scene and there's a crash. Well, we could learn a lot from that in terms of what the system sensed, when it sensed it, you know, how quickly the driver, the human operator may have responded or how quickly the automated driving system could have responded. In the end, there was, I don't think there were any injuries or made, you know, property damage only, but a lot could be learned from that. Uh, you know, I don't believe there was an NTSB investigation. I think that might've been a good idea, but I, I you know, uh, that's just, you know, in hindsight, in my opinion, you know, you mentioned that there was a company that had a, a an hours of service violation. I'm not aware. I don't know anything about the details of that, but I did read about it in the, in the trade press and it kind of raises eyebrows. Well, you know, these companies that are testing automated driving systems, 
they really ought to be on in ship shape, as my father would say. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, they should not have violations of, of of almost anything on the vehicle, and certainly not of the safety drivers that are ostensibly watching what's going on. At some point, these things will be turned loose on their own, and we'll have to manage those situations uh, on their own. So. I guess, you know, my, my big question, and I don't suppose you have an answer for this, but I'd love to get your opinion on it. How would you investigate an accident uh, in a situation like that? You'd have all the evidence, of course, you know, the recordings and what have you. But do you charge a computer for being at fault in a crash? Well, that is not, we don't have, we don't have case law that sort of in, imagines um, liability and who's, you know, or even who you charge in that case. But I, mm-hmm. well, to my knowledge, maybe there is some, maybe it's been somewhat established. Um, if, if you're charging somebody with a traffic violation, maybe that goes to the company. I don't know who, per, I think it, maybe it goes to the safety, human safety driver on board. Um, I, Again, these are things that that we have had discussions about, and we don't have all the answers. Um, and and we aren't the only folks that need to be having the discussions. And uh, you know, there are um, people who do crash investigations, and then there's the the officer um, who might be writing up the report. And then there's um, there needs to be an established, you know, um, I call it ownership of of uh, of the data. Um, generally speaking, as I understand it, the company who owns the truck owns the data, including all the video recordings, all of the, well, okay. The company who owns the system could be, it, there is, if you're, an, if you're an automated driving system developer, you may own that data because you have an agreement with the, the user, um, your customer, or maybe it's the customer that owns it. But either way, um, that doesn't have to be disclosed to, you know, especially in a case where there's no injuries um, uh, and it's property damage only, do you do you fight that in a court battle to get that data? I don't think so. Not as a, you know, that we don't have resources to do that mm-hmm. generally, and it's not practical. Um, but it's really important for learning how we're going to solve the, the question of, um, of dealing with vehicles like this in a crash in the future. So... Yeah. I think that we ought to be sharing that kind of information. I think that an, a very thorough investigation of a, of a minor crash would be really helpful. Um, now, maybe the companies are doing that, but they're not required to share that information. And maybe it's they think it's proprietary. I, uh, If they're running on public roads, I think it's a public good that they should be sharing personally. I wouldn't uh, disagree with that. But part of the process of maintaining uh, a record, a good record, for a commercial carrier, are facility audits and paper trails and you know, your folks go in once in a while, audit carriers for, for that sort of thing. Do you think uh, at some point you'll have to be doing those sorts of audits on company culture and safety culture and approaches to safety uh, with the autonomous companies the way you do now with a traditional motor carrier? Yes. Um, you've got a thousand vehicles um, um, it, that are au- automated and um, very few, you know, very few interactions with any human officer, roadside inspection officer would, would, would occur. Now, I know that in some of the um, self-assessments, safety self-assessments that have been submitted to the USDOT, co- some companies have explained that they have their vehicle will pull over if it's if a 
um, you know, if flashing lights and a siren come up behind them, they will pull over. Uh, you know, it's not that it's impossible, but companies are not required to have that capability. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, how do we pull a vehicle over? That's a quickest, you know, another question. But again, if we never are really con- in, in any way stopping and touching and, be- and checking out these vehicles on the road, then the best way that probably needs to happen in terms of monitoring safety is through a, a, um, some sort of audit. And that safety audit may be unique to those types of vehicles. We don't have that yet, but that's a good concept to think about. Well, the next question I was going to ask you was uh, pulling the truck over or dealing with them at roadside. If there's been an accident and the road's blocked and you have to direct traffic, how will the roadside officers uh, interact with uh, a machine with nobody in there to take instruction or ask or answer questions? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I know that I'm aware that some States, at least a, a few or, or at least one <laughs> um, is, you know, they need, they want, a communication, a, a phone number, um, on that associated with that vehicle. I don't know if it has to be labeled on the side of the vehicle or if it just has to be available to enforcement, um, to law enforcement, but basically they want a phone number to get a person on the line on the other end. You know, we've got your vehicle in this situation. Um, how, how do we, how do we deal with it? And, you know, to the company that's running the automated driving system, that is a start, but that's not scalable. We can't have thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of trucks um, with a phone number and you, you know, call a hotline and you get some person. Now, maybe you can, I, I guess that is scalable from a hotline. You could have a hotline set up to deal with these vehicles. Um, but just identifying the vehicle from, from the outside, from behind it, um, knowing that it's got no person on board and, oh, you can't pull it over. Well, these are again good a good question uh, I, I think that um, you know one solution is to have an 80, current solution is to have an 800 number that you call or a phone number to call um, to get someone a representative from the company well where do you think or, or do you think there's applications for all of this emerging technology that we can apply to existing trucks and fleets and enforcement measures and protocols. Is, is this only going to benefit the autonomous trucks or can the, uh, the rest of the fleet take advantage of some of this as well? Well, uh, there's two parts of that question. I think that makes sense to, for me to think about one is, and I, I mentioned this verification and, and how we might know if a vehicle is equipped with an automation system, how we know if a person is on board CVSA, my organization, the commercial vehicle safety Alliance um, we have been pushing for a, an electronic, well, an, a universal electronic identifier, we called it, um, over about 15 years ago that when we started discussing with DOT, the, the, the need for this and what, what that was, was a, a way to identify a vehicle electronically, a, a VIN number, if you will, but a way to check the vehicle to, to know which, what vehicle it is remotely or electronically. In my view, uh, the the uh, V2V communications was an opportunity that we could have used. It was that that rule, that proposed rule, did not apply to trucks. But if it did apply to trucks, and they were, you know, they they said in their proposed rule that they would eventually um, consider heavier vehicles in the future. Um, 
you could have a, a VIN broadcast and, and it could be encrypted and only be read by enforcement or something like that. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not blind to the fact that there's, there's privacy concerns, but a way to identify a vehicle f- so that it can be checked out remotely without having to pull to stop the person, stop the truck. And, and so identifying the vehicle is the first step. And if we can do that, and you know, that, that can be done with a, there's, you know, there's RF, uh, radio frequency identification, uh, RFID um, chips, or a, you know, something that's broadcast or can be, can be uh, responded to on the vehicle. Um, however it's done, this was something that we think needs to happen in the, at the, at the national level. We've, we've, we've submitted petitions to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration in 2010, I believe, and it might have been earlier, and we, we uh, reminded them again in 2010. But then in 2015 or 16, we submitted a, 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 a sister petition to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to think about this. And um, I don't know how much progress we're getting, but we, we are promoting this idea to be able to identify vehicles, any vehicle, not just automated vehicles, so that we can check out, check them out, various aspects of their, of their, the driver's status, the, the company status, the, um, even the pre-trip inspection, like in a concept that's not done today, but we wouldn't have to pull vehicles over to check them out. And then they could go on their way and, and, and they'd have a screening or a scan. We'd call it an electronic inspection. We're, we're calling it a CVSA level eight inspection. Level eight. Okay. Yeah. Level eight is, is we envision an electronic inspection. Currently, it's just thinking about the driver credentials and the driver requirements. But I believe it should include in the future also some vehicle components. And also at some, something like it could be developed as part of that effort uh, for automated vehicles. Uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute, but I'll leave the last uh, last couple of comments uh, entirely up to you. Um, you know, as somebody who's uh, looking down and, and trying to direct this in a, in a certain direction. What sort of stuff are you hoping happens in the next five to 10 years as far as enforcement and automated vehicles are concerned? Or you know, what sort of stuff is keeping you awake at night? Well, um, things I think would be helpful to see in the next five years. Um, you know, I talked, I, I'm just sort of touching on it there about you know, electronic identifier of vehicles, electronic inspections, and the idea that we could basically, we would want to be able to, I, I think that inspectors, we have 13,000 commercial vehicle inspectors in North America, and we've got about 5 million trucks. And we can't touch every vehicle every every year, even every couple of years, in fact. Uh, you know, some vehicles get inspected many times and others don't ever get touched it would be nice to use less time checking vehicles that don't have very many things wrong with them. It would be better if we could screen a vehicle for the big things like brakes and tires, maybe lights, um, uh, and, and, you know, the safety elements that we are maybe a core group of safety elements. And I'm not going to pick the winners and losers on this call on this, uh, discussion, but, um, if, if the vehicle isn't equipped with, you know, some of that 
that communication and identification and, and pre-screening and all that, well, then we can check it and we'll check it out. And if it turns that it's good, it's clean, then on you go and you get a, a benefit in your, in your safety rating. But for the most part, um, uh, it would be better if our inspectors found we're only inspecting vehicles that have the more serious issues. And, you know, if you have nothing wrong, what a, it's a waste of the driver's time, a waste of the company's shipment time, and a waste of the inspector's time to go over the whole vehicle and the driver and find nothing wrong. So if we could do that electronically, that is a big goal in the next five to 10 years. Okay. You asked about what keeps me up at night. There is the possibility that we don't have a, a really a good way to, to resolve how to handle vehicles that can drive themselves. So we could have we could have a, a, a future, a, a near-term or a longer-term future where we have a wide variety of companies, um, some highly respectable and, and well-funded and maybe like the main ones that are doing it now. And then you have some companies that are like fly-by-night uh, garage shop hacked together machines that um, are, are driving themselves and not very safely. That's possible. And even even these even the companies that are running today, and you know that the the example of the Uber crash is a good one. Um, they that company, they certainly did not want that to happen. They were trying to do the they were trying to do their due diligence in terms of having a safety driver, but their safety driver was watching some program on the phone uh, and not watching the the the, the street mm-hmm. um, and it's, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say that it was entirely the safety driver's fault. It was a mix of very bad circumstances or circumstances that all led to that fatality. But that one of the, you know, there, there's more that the company could have done. And I think that they are trying to do better in the future um, from what, you know, from what we hear publicly and, and the changes that that company's made, but other companies, there's going to be another fatality. There's been other fatalities with automation, arguably with uh, Teslas. Um, I'm not sure if there's other companies that have had fatalities, but around the world. But um, nonetheless, there there are going to be more fatalities. On the flip side, also, I, I see opportunity. Um, there is um, 94%, I think, is the US DOT's number as to the number of fatal crashes that were. Um, where the kind of the leading causation element was a human error, meaning the driver made a mistake. And I think that a big portion of those could be reduced. We could save a lot of lives by some automation, um, whether that's, you know, part of the driving task or more of the driving task or have these automation systems kind of be a, a uh, co-pilot that, um, you know, oversee what you're doing. And if you fall asleep, they can pull over and say, Hey, wake up. And if you don't wake up, they call an ambulance. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> Indeed it would. Yeah. Will Schaefer is the director of safety programs at the commercial vehicle safety Alliance. Will, thanks so much for uh, sharing those thoughts with us today on uh, the future of cops and robots. Appreciate it. Jim, thanks for having me on. Plan to attend the virtual edition of fleet forward 2020. Because of the travel restrictions and budget cuts brought on by the pandemic, we've moved Fleet Forward 2020 online. The conference takes place over five mornings, November 9th through the 13th. 
Just pick a session and log in. To view the full agenda and to register, visit fleetforwardconference.com today. We've been speaking with Will Schaefer. He's the Director of Safety Programs at the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance. Will's intrigued with the potential to reduce human error-related truck crashes through automated driving. He says he remains skeptical, but he's keeping an open mind. We have more on autonomous trucks in this series of special reports on HDT Talks Trucking, including a cautionary interview with Duke University Robotics Professor Mary Cummings and an interview with autonomous vehicle advocate Richard Bishop. You can check those out, too, while you're here. And if you're new to the podcast, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode and leave us a rating, if you wouldn't mind. That helps us to build our audience. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.